0: Welcome to the show. Today we'll be talking about clicker training. Now, for those of you who watch my show all the time or listen in, you will know that clicker training is, or marker training, is the basis for a lot of the behaviors I teach, how I teach, and how I reinforce and improve behaviors. But there is a lot more to clicker training than you might get out of YouTube and maybe reading a book And it took me a very long time to gather the information that I know about clicker training. Even my $40,000 degree in animal science only scratched the surface of clicker training and what was possible with a clicker. And until you start really diving into what you can do and, and how you can improve certain things, you don't understand the power of it. So I hope today, in today's episode, I can go over what the clicker is, how to use it, And some kind of mystical or magical ways, if you will, that you can use it that really kind of grow not only your understanding of the clicker, but your dog's skill set. So, let's jump right into it. First off, what is a clicker? A (laughs) conglitch... Starting off strong, already messing up some words here. It's okay. So what is a clicker? A clicker is a bridging stimulus or a conditioned reinforcer. Okay. So, a bridging stimulus is simply some stimulus that carries over to a reinforcer. Okay? It it creates more time between the event that happened and the reinforcement that will reward that event. That's a bridging stimulus. We're just bridging the gap between when the behavior happened and what we're rewarding it with. Okay? Now, to use a bridging stimulus effectively, it should be within you know, three seconds or so. Any longer than that, unless you train for it specifically, any longer than that, and your dog is not gonna make the connection as to why they're getting a toy or a reward or praise. So bridging stimulus is that event bridged, right, we're bridging the gap to a reward event. Now, a conditioned reinforcer is a particular sound or feeling or something that our dog can perceive as being conditioned, right? It previously meant nothing. We are conditioning it to mean reinforcement. Okay, now that goes way, way in depth of classical conditioning. But for right now, all you need to understand is this sound or sight or something our dog can perceive meant nothing previously and now means reinforcement. Where does this happen in your own life? Let's say a notification on your phone. The sound on your phone means absolutely nothing, up until you add some kind of meaning to it. So if your phone goes off and it does doo doo and you go, okay, I don't know what the hell that means, but you then look at your phone and realize it's a email, you start to make the association doo doo means email, doo doo means email, doo doo means email do this over a number of days, you will start to be conditioned to that sound. Now, if you try to condition two things at the same time, you're gonna cause some problems. So if do 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 means email, and da-da means text message, if they happen relatively at the same time, meaning within a day you get five emails and five text messages, and they keep going back and forth, the do 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 doo" and da-da, Right? I don't know if that was the same sound I made before, but we'll just go with it. do 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 The email, da-da, is text message. So if that keeps happening and they keep alternating, or sometimes you get two text messages and sometimes you get two emails or three in a row, your brain isn't going to make the association as clear, if at all. For me, I still don't know what the sounds on my phone mean. I get a bloop sound and a chime sound that I can't mimic with my own voice, and a flicker sound, I get all of these different sounds that are supposed to mean different things. One's for Facebook, one's for text messages, one's for other social media, one's for uh, notifications from apps, one's for email. Like, there's way too many going on. Realistically, if I wanted to fix that, if I wanted to condition those sounds appropriately, I would pick one specific sound for one specific notification, and I would only have that notification live for a week and a half. Then my brain would start to make the association. Okay, that sound means email. However, in the case of a phone, it gets a little muddy. Because if I get other notifications that don't have a sound to it, okay, so notification goes off and I get an email, but I also got Facebook, Instagram, text message, and a phone call that had no sounds, I'm going to be confused, or at least my brain is going to be confused, as to what that particular sound meant. So really you'd have to turn off notifications for everything besides the one thing. But again, I digress. But it just goes to show how clear you need to be. Okay, The conditioned reinforcer has to be super clear. That's why we use a clicker. It is consistent. It's the same every single time. It does not change. It does not have inflection. It does not have emotion. And this is the argument most people make about using verbal markers, saying, yes, good. Unless you are a professional dog trainer who does this hours upon hours upon hours a day, you will not be able to control your inflection or your excitement, which means yes, 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 right? All of those were different, which means they do not carry the same information that a clicker would. A clicker is the same every single time. Every single time. Which means it carries the same information every single time. The other ones carry different information. And remember what we said before, if you go to condition a reinforcement and you have different sounds, which all might mean similar things, maybe don't, right? Then we have another problem where our dog's not going to pick up on the association, on the conditioning part. So that's a problem there. So to make everything easier, to make things clearer, to give the information that we're trying to give as fast as possible, use a clicker or something very similar. I have used a Snapple cap in the past when we didn't have a clicker available, which now I always have a clicker in my pocket. Used to use a Snapple cap. I've used ballpoint pens, something that makes a very clear and distinct sound. That is the conditioned reinforcer, right? You click then the treat. Click, treat, click, treat. Now because we talked about the bridging stimulus already, I can mention this. The click should happen and there should be a pause between moving for the treat. Not just delivering the treat, moving for the treat. If you do not pause, again, you create uncertainty. If the click is too close to you moving your shoulder or shuffling your feet or your hand in the treat pouch, Your dog might pick up on those as the signal for a treat instead of the clicker. Some dogs are super sensitive to this and some are not. If you get a dog that's super sensitive to this, you have to be very, very clear. Now, I used to train chickens when I was in college. We trained chickens, which those of you who do a lot of dog training and maybe have heard about clicker training in the past understand that chicken training is to help with timing and your kind of thought process going into it. But what you might not realize is training a chicken can be very stimulating for the chicken. Meaning, anything you do, the chicken is going to either freak out about or become unsure about or anxious about or whatever it is. So when you stand still and click the exact moment they do something and then move to present the reward, That is the clearer way to do it. If you mark and start to move at the same time, they're going to disregard the click or the mark in order to evaluate the new motion that's being created. Okay. The same thing can go for a sensitive dog, especially a nervous dog. So you don't want to make them nervous, you don't want to stress them out. You should be as clear as possible. So, you've conditioned the reinforcer, you understand the bridging stimulus, now, what does it mean to actually use the clicker? Well, there's multiple different ways to do it. The first way, which most people think about using a clicker, is just to capture good behavior. That is correct. Your dog does something you like. You simply mark and reward. Super simple. Okay, so this means your dog lays down on the couch, and you want your dog to be a couch potato. You're simply going to mark, get your treat, walk over, drop it in front of them. Now, the mark in itself might Stimulate them a little bit get them a little excited so they might get up from their position, but that's okay You marked the behavior everything else that happens afterwards doesn't matter Okay, you have to get that into your brain I marked the behavior Everything else afterwards does not matter the treat matters where you place the treat all that does matter But for their sake the behavior they're doing no longer matters Behavior that was happening when you clicked did Anyway, I digress. So, you want your dog to relax, you mark a reward for them relaxing. You're trying to get your dog to lay down on cue, and they just can't do it following a lure, so you mark and reward whenever they lay down. This becomes more frequent, and then you can add a word to it. So, capturing takes a long time, especially if you're trying to teach them to do something that is not natural. Okay, having your dog pick something up and bring it over to you when they're a chihuahua is not necessarily natural. So you can kind of see where that would be limiting. Capturing would be limiting. Above capturing, or kind of to the side of capturing, these all kind of go together, would be, you know what, we're going to jump around a little bit. I'm going to go from my least favorite to my most favorite. So capturing is not my least favorite, so I'm going to jump around for a second. Molding is my least favorite. Molding is my least favorite. Molding is putting your dog physically in a position with your hands or a leash and then marking when they get into that behavior. Why is this my least favorite? It gives the dog the least amount of information to go off of. If I were to grab you, drag you across a room, and put you in a very specific chair, what have you learned? Nothing. Besides, maybe this is the chair that you should go in. But what if it was I didn't want you to be in the other chair, right? I don't care where you sat. You just can't sit in the chair that you were about to. So I dragged you over to a different chair. What if it was I didn't want you on that side of the room? What what if it was I just wanted to drag you across the room for fun? And what if it was I wanted you to sit in this specific chair this specific way? And so I put you in that position. You don't know. No part of me dragging you around. Oh, and let's not forget, I could have dragged you around three times and then put you in a chair. I could have dragged you around once. I could have gone to the left. I could have gone to the right. There's so much information that is missed because dogs don't learn that way, okay? They don't learn be by manipulated. People don't learn that way, okay? Yes, you might say, well, if someone's learning how to bat, okay, and they, they got their, their shoulder in the wrong position, someone might come over and manipulate their shoulder. I guarantee without somebody manipulating their shoulder, they would not be able to find that position again. At least not quickly. Okay, and that's why it's my least favorite form of using a clicker to get a good behavior. Why would I manipulate my dog into a position when there's other methods to get them to do the right thing? And by manipulate, I mean picking them up and moving them, pushing down on their butt, pushing down on their whole back to get them to lay down. It's just not productive when we're trying to get our dog to do something. So, what's an alternative, right? So we had molding, okay? Pushing them into the position, moving them. You can push your dog into your leg for a heel. That's molding. That's not going to work long-term. It's definitely not going to be the fastest way to teach your dog something. So then you have the capturing that I already mentioned. That's They do something randomly, and you mark and reward it. They happen to move towards you, so you mark and reward. Okay, that can be helpful in some situations. Then you have luring. Luring is having a treat in your hand and moving your dog around by guiding them with the treat. So this uses their strongest sense, their nose, and their taste to manipulate them into new positions. Okay, so if you want your dog to sit, you put a treat in front of their nose, you guide the nose up, their butt goes down, you mark a reward when their butt goes down. Luring is good. A lot of people use luring. It is an easy way to convey a message to your dog is an easy way for non dog trainers to convey a message. Okay, it is the middle of the road for me. It lacks certain flexibilities and it is difficult, if not done correctly, to wean off of. This is where individuals have a problem of, oh, well, I can lure my dog into a position, but they don't listen when I say it, or my dog won't respond unless I have a treat in my hand. Okay. Or, my dog won't respond if we're outside and I don't have a high enough value treat. That all comes down to your dog not actually knowing the behavior based off the cue. They know the behavior, but only with the guidance of a lure. Sounds very similar to they only know the behavior with the guidance of molding. Okay, so if I was trying to figure out a puzzle, I was in a corn maze, and somebody was in front of me guiding me along, do I really have to think about the corn maze? No. Somebody else is in charge of that. They're guiding me through it. But once that person left, let's say I lost them, I lost track of them, or they just disappeared by magic, then I would not be able to find my way through. I would not have the skills to think of this new behavior I should try. Okay, well, do I go right, do I go left? Do I stay here and wait for someone to come help me again? So your dog can very quickly get lost with luring. If you go the luring route, You would simply lure with a treat, then you would lure without a treat, and then you would phase out the hand motion before adding the cue. That's very backwards than what most people would tell you to do. They're going to say lure, 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 add in the cue when they start to guess the behavior right, mark and reward when the behavior is done. The reason that doesn't work is number one, your dog does not know the behavior before you add in the cue. Okay, your dog has to know the behavior, And then the cue tells them to do that behavior. If they don't know the behavior, they don't know what to do, the cue means nothing. We already talked about before cause and effect, right? So the click is a cause, then the effect is the treat. And the click is an effect of the cause of doing a behavior. doing the behavior is an effect of the cause of a cue. Okay, so that cue, behavior, click, reward. That just keeps going down the line. Cause and effect. You cannot have one without the other. So when you think, okay, well, I'm just going to say it as I do it, you're not going to make the association. It's just not going to happen. Okay. Think about a a track star on the line. The gun goes off, then they move. If they move at the same time as the gun, you don't know if they're moving based off anticipation or if they're moving because they heard the gun because they definitely didn't hear the gun because they're just going. Okay. So make sure... You teach the behavior first, and then we'll talk about adding in the queue later on. Maybe in another podcast, we'll talk about adding the queue or improving latency. I think I have a podcast on it. Somebody go back. <laughs> I'll go back later. But somebody go back and listen to it. Let me know. If I see a, a, a giant increase in the amount of views, I'll know everybody went back and listened to that. Okay. So we have molding. We have capturing. We have loring. Now we get to targeting. Okay. So targeting is teaching... A skill first before you teach anything else. And the skill is touching a particular object, maybe a target stick, maybe your hand, and this then can be used in replace of luring. So if I taught my dog to target a stick, now this could be a a foot-long stick, this could be a 20-foot-long stick. If I taught my dog to target the end of a stick, I could then hold the stick above their nose and wait for them to slightly angle their body upwards, mark and reward, and then give them a treat. Now this very similarly has the limitations of lore, but it's slightly different. It's easier to phase out the target stick by simply making it shorter or further away than it is the treat. The treat just has so much value in it that your dog gets distracted by the treat when we're trying to tell them to do something. By motion, I mean. So with the target stick, they're so focused on the target but still doing the behavior in order to get some kind of click. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, let me go back to my uh, maze analogy here. So I'm going through the maze. Loring is having somebody directly in front of me, maybe even holding my hand. Okay, they start to go, I go to the right, because they go to the right, they go to the left, I go to the left, they disappear. Now, targeting would be Having somebody a couple of turns away, and I make a right and a right, and I don't see anybody, so I go back and I make a left, and then I see my guide. And I go, oh, so it was a right and a left. Now it's easier to phase out the guide, because I'm starting to think two-thirds of that problem on my own, as opposed to my guide being directly in front of me. Okay, Think about a GPS. If you had to rely on your GPS for every single turn because you don't know where you are, okay, let's say you're in Manhattan. You have no clue where you are. I don't even care if you live in Manhattan. Nobody knows where they are half the time. I have no idea where I am in Manhattan, and I've never been in Manhattan for long enough to kind of study the, the roads. If you know, awesome. Kudos to you. That's a valuable skill. Uh, we should go to the city sometime. You can kind of guide me around. <laughs> <laughs> you can guide me around. Go two blocks ahead. I'll find you, and I'll be targeted rewarded. Anyway. <laughs> That'd be a fun game, wouldn't it? So if you have a GPS and you're relying on every single turn and all of a sudden the GPS wipes clear, okay, for whatever reason your GPS broke, satellite blows up, aliens invade us, satellite's broken, GPS is broken, you have no clue where to go. You're going to panic for a split second and you're going to start making rash decisions. Okay, I'm just going to go to the right, I'm just going to go to the left, I'm going to try to figure it out. Maybe I'll even pull over, see if I can fix the GPS. Or you start yelling at your passenger, complaining that they did something because your phone was plugged into Android Auto, and now their phone's plugged into Apple CarPlay, and you don't know how to use Apple CarPlay. Clearly, I have some kind of emotional response to this. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, so what would be the difference? If you're in an area that you kind of know, semi, and you're relying you know, maybe on the exit, or maybe every couple of blocks, you kind of have to look over the GPS. You're much more independent when it comes to knowing where you are and figuring out what to do. Which means you're going to learn this area faster, because you're going to constantly push yourself to how many places or how many steps you can cheat without having to look to the GPS. Okay, this is uh, a version of game theory that I practice, where you try to push yourself in a game mode, okay, how many steps can I go without listening to the GPS, or how fast can I get there in a safe and reasonable manner? Anyway, we can talk about game theory another time. So targeting with your dog gives them just enough information to start the behavior, but not enough information to be reliant. They cannot rely on the target, especially if you do it correctly. If you do it wrong, it's just the same as luring, so you have to use it correctly. Okay. Now one step above, and this is what I love to do with a dog, if I have the time and the dog is really eager and they're food motivated or toy motivated, we can do shaping. Now there's a couple different types of shaping, there's free shaping and then there's shaping. Shaping is where you take luring and targeting and capturing, you put it all together and you try to get your dog to get in the right direction and then you move on to free shaping. Free shaping, strictly, is where you give your dog nothing. And you just mark and reward for closer and closer approximations to your desired result so if you wanted your dog to put all four paws in a box you'd put the box there you would put your dog there and in free shaping terms you would simply stop what you're doing stand still hold the clicker have a treat pouch on your back without your hand in it and you would wait for them to look towards the box then you would mark and reward if they're not looking towards the box they could lean towards the box then you'd mark and reward Over time, a couple of clicks, they'll go, okay, that seems to get reinforced more. Let me keep trying. So you keep pushing that, and then you stop rewarding it. They're going to start trying the next thing, or the closest thing, to the first behavior in order to get another click. So let's say instead of leaning and looking, now they step. So you'd mark a reward as they pick their paw up. This rewards them for moving their paw towards the box. Then the next step would be two paws. Right? Then they start moving with a little more umph. Then they have four paws. right? And so then they get to the box. Now they put their head in the box. You mark and reward that a couple of times. Now they go, okay, well that's not getting rewarded anymore. Maybe I have to step in the box. So they step in the box. You get one paw, two paw, three paw, four paws. Now we're going a little advanced here about reward placement, but if you weren't doing strict free shaping, you could lure your dog into the box a few times Okay. Then stop luring, or you could use a target to give them the idea, kind of implant the seed in their brain of they have to be in the box. And if you do that for multiple different behaviors, your dog will start to pick up that that's the pattern. They go, okay, that seems to be a reliable system. Mom and dad shows me where I'm going and what I need to do. I then go do it and we're good. So you repeat that process over and over and over again. With free shaping, you give them nothing. Okay, You reward them possibly in the box to encourage them to go towards the box, and this is what I was hinting at before about uh, reward placement. You can reward them in the box to encourage them to go into the box, or you can reward them away from the box. You actually toss the treat the opposite direction, which resets them to move towards the box. Now, you always want to mark for movement. Now, what I mentioned earlier in the podcast about the the magic of clicker is timing is everything i've heard this since the beginning of my dog training career timing is everything if your timing is off you might as well have not trained most people mark and reward for the end of the behavior the butt's already on the ground they're already laying down they're already to you after the recall you want to mark and reward for the motion or the movement what does this do it rewards the movement sounds super simple right So if I was working on a recall, my dog's 10 feet away, and I recall him, and 5 feet away, he's running full sprint at me, and I mark and reward, I rewarded the fastest movement he had. The most amount of effort in the recall got rewarded. Now, what happens if I do what most people do? My dog's 10 feet away, I recall him, at 3 to 2 feet, he starts slowing down. It's a stop, so he doesn't smack into me. Or, some dogs are running too fast, they try to veer off around you. If you mark and reward for that moment, not only do you mark and reward for them slowing down, which means you're going to have a slower recall in the future, or they go to turn off to the side of you, you mark and reward for them turning off to the side. That's no good. Now let's say you wait until your dog gets all the way to you, they sit promptly in front of you, and then you mark and reward. That would be okay, as long as you're marking and rewarding for... Them sitting in front of you. Even then, though, I would mark a reward for the action of putting the butt down, not the sit itself. If you're working on duration, that's a whole other story. Okay, duration's a whole other story, and we can go over that in another podcast. And I believe we do. We already might have one. I'll do another one. It's been a while. So, just to go back over clicker training and how it works and and getting new behaviors. Molding, capturing, luring, targeting, shaping, free-shaping. You want to stick to free shaping, shaping, targeting, and maybe luring in some cases, but you really want to limit that. You want to try to use targeting, you want to try to use shaping. Now with the clicker and timing, you can have your dog be more creative. They can learn faster because they have the skill. Once your dog has the skill of what to do and they go, okay, well, right, I looked over there, and the last time I looked at something, I was instructed to go closer to it. Let me go closer to it. You, once that becomes a habit, your dog will start trying new things. know, one of the best games, or well-known games, is 101 things to do with a box. You simply put a box in front of your dog, and you mark and reward whenever they do a new behavior in front of the box. You've probably heard of this, or friends have heard of this. If you do any type of click training, somebody has mentioned this at some point. But nobody does 101 things. Okay. If you're not doing 101 things, your dog is limited by the skill sets they have. So I'm not going to list 101 things right now. I'll probably make a ebook about the game itself and what to do and having fun with it. But you could have your dog paw the box, push the box, bite the box, lick the box, headbutt the box. Push it with their back foot versus their front foot, with their right foot versus their left foot. They could hit it with their tail. They could sit on it. They could sit next to it. They could sit to the left of it, to the right of it. They could down on top of it. They could push it with both paws. They could push it with their back paws. They could kick it with their back paws. They could circle around it. They could bark at it. See what I'm point? See my point? There's so many things that you could have your dog do with a box that would give them a new skill set. So, when I first started doing this game, it was with a giant. Excuse me. Sorry, my dog decided it was a good idea to display some. Okay. Excuse me, sir. Off. Oh. Hawk wanted to join the party. He started pawing the ground as I was talking about the box. Anyway, so I was just about to tell this story, Hawk. You're, you're involved in it. So we first started off this game. I put Hawk's favorite toy in a Hawk box. Getting a little rambunctious. So that's what having a good dog means. (laughs) They do bad things sometimes. And you simply have the ability to send them to their crate and have them relaxed. Okay, so I didn't beat my dog. I just put him in his crate because he was going through my backpack that has string cheese in it. So anyway, back to what I was saying about you, Hawk. He's trying to be the the star of the show here. I had a, a giant shipping box, and I put Hawk's favorite toy in it. I didn't know what he was gonna do, but I figured it'd be fun to try to figure it out. Now, I didn't use a clicker at this point because he was so motivated by the toy, but he had to try a whole bunch of different behaviors in order to get the toy. So he started by pushing it with his nose. That didn't work, he couldn't get the toy. He then started pawing at it and punching it. And I mean punching, like he was punching this box. He was putting holes in the box. Eventually, he punched it and got off balance The box got off balance, and he was able to flip it in order to get the toy. This was highly reinforcing for Hawk. So whenever there is a toy within reach, he will use his paw to smack it. Okay, now I got him a puzzle piece, a puzzle toy, a tinker toy, and he took that and he smacked it against the wall as hard as he could with his paw, and it cracked open and he got all of his treats. So once again, he was rewarded for using his paw. So whenever we go to do a new skill, his go-to behavior is to paw something as violently as humanly possible. This was particularly helpful when I tried to teach him how to uh, file his own nails. I had a scratch board, and he just pawed at it all day, and I marked and rewarded that. For your dog, it might be barking. It might be laying down. okay, It might be trying whatever has worked in the past. So you need to make sure that you're rewarding that for when it's necessary, but also encouraging them to try new things. If Hawk only ever learned to use his paw, I was never going to get him to back up. We were never going to be able to do um, the block challenge. If you saw it on TikTok, he stacked two blocks on top of each other. It wasn't perfect. We're still working on it, but improving the skill set they have is critical if you want to do anything complex with your dog, any tricks. Or even just obedience work. If you're going to do competition obedience work, they need to have a certain skill set. They need to know where their back legs are. They need to know how to pivot. And doing all of that is going to not only increase their creativity, it's more fun for them. And it's enjoyable along the way for you as well. So clicker training is incredibly useful. Incredibly, incredibly useful if you do it right. So make sure that you're you're setting out a training plan ahead of time. If you don't know how to teach something, watch, you know, a hundred different videos about it. You could also head over to Matador University and sign up for our market training course, which we will be expanding. It is our mini course at the moment, uh, but it is a good foundation fundamentals uh, before you get to the advanced stuff, which will be coming out soon. So thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys next episode. Hey, guys, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. Sponsor for today's episode is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. That's where this podcast was made, and maybe that'll be where your podcast will be made. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you think family or friends would benefit from what you heard today on Acknowledged Dogs, please share it with them. You can post it on Facebook. We are also on every social media platform, so make sure you tag us, Matador. You can also head over to Matador Canine and schedule a free consultation to talk about coaching and reaching the goals with your dog and those problem behaviors reach the goals that you want and have the dog that always listens.